0: in search of deeper faith, grateful for brighter hope, and held by steadfast love. Amen. Amen. If you've not been to a wedding lately, let me remind you about what you've missed. Pocklebell's Canon in D, on a repeating loop while the organist waits for confused ushers, to escort family members to their seats. A sweaty, slightly lightheaded groom, more nervous than he's ever been, trying still to play it cool. A lovely, exhausted bride who hopes no one will see that she's stepped through the hem of her dress, ripped it loose, and now has it duct-taped back into place. <laughs> Stiff, looking groomsmen in rented tuxedos that almost fit. And bridesmaids in those dresses, you know, those dresses. And and in shoes that make them walk like novice ice skaters wobbling out onto the rink for the first time. Uh, a flower girl who cries and balks and looks for her mother A ring bearer who uses the pillow he's supposed to carry, first as a hat and then as a Frisbee. (laughs) The father of the bride who cycles between happiness over this moment in his daughter's life and near panic over what this moment in his daughter's life is costing him. Two soloists, one obviously experienced and talented, who offers a reverent and lovely rendition of the Lord's Prayer, and the other who grasps a microphone like Celine Dion on a Las Vegas stage and belts out her song with such volume and with such disregard for pitch and diction (laughs) that it leaves everyone in the room just a little stunned. And at some point, a fraternity brother or a sorority sister or the bride's grandfather or someone else reads these words from 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. And now faith, hope, and love abide these three but the greatest of these is love. And it's fine, of course it's fine, to read these lyrical lines about love at a wedding, but it's important to remember that Paul didn't write or quote these words with weddings in mind. Instead, Paul sang this soaring song about love to a fractured and factionalized church located in a decadent and divided city. Externally, by the outsiders, Christians in Corinth were seen with sneering suspicion as the deluded followers of a defeated deity. And internally, they played polarizing power games with each other, a kind of leadership tug-of-war Some members were suing each other in civil court, and people had been known to show up at the Eucharist drunk. The church was in trouble. And in response to their trouble, Paul urged his friends to renew their confidence in what he called the more excellent way, the way of love. Without love, he said, nothing else would matter. Here's how Gene Peterson phrased these opening words of our text. If I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy, but don't know love, I'm nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. If I speak God's Word with power, revealing all the mysteries and making everything plain as day, and if I say to a mountain, jump, and it jumps, but I don't love, I'm nothing. If I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr but don't love, I've gotten nowhere. No matter what I say, what I believe, what I do, without love, I'm bankrupt. And Paul described what love is like. Love lingers to listen, slows down to understand. It's considerate, courteous, and gentle, not irritable or rude. Love refuses to look at life through the green eyes of envy, and it carries its successes with quiet dignity. It doesn't upstage or embarrass other people. Love doesn't rise up in arrogance but kneels down to serve. In life's give and take, push and pull, love doesn't reduce everything to politics and scorekeeping. Love surrenders the wielding of force and instead yields to the gentle purpose of God. Love doesn't amplify another person's sins. It helps those who stumble and fall to get back on their feet. Love just doesn't give up. It resists the temptation of easy cynicism. Instead, it trusts that because God raised Jesus from the dead, even the bleakest circumstances can brighten and the most broken hearts and be made whole. Such love, this kind of love, is at one and the same time our highest calling and our truest need. We are called to give love. We are also invited first to receive love. As the elder John said, We love because God first loved us. Our gospel lesson continues the story of Jesus' first sermon in his hometown synagogue. Using words from the prophet Isaiah, Jesus claimed his identity as God's anointed agent of liberation from every kind of oppression, economic and emotional, social and spiritual, physical and psychic. And at first, the people who listened to him, people who'd known him all of his life, were delighted by his words. They were thrilled by his presence. They'd heard what he'd been doing all along the seashore, the Galilean seashore. And they hoped that if he had done so much for them, people who'd never known him before, he would do even more for the hometown crowd. But it soon became clear that Jesus would give no special favors to the people who'd watched him grow up. There would be no privileges based on long-standing connections. There would be none because there needed to be none. Jesus was announcing and enacting the all-inclusive, all-liberating, just, merciful love of God. But these people wanted something more just for themselves. And when they saw Jesus was not going to give it to them, their initial Affirmation became anger. Their welcome became rejection. But Jesus remained centered and grounded in His mission of love. How did He manage to respond with love to the lovelessness of his hometown crowd. He managed, I think, because he nurtured and rehearsed in his mind and heart all the time what he had heard God say to him in his baptism. You are my child. I love you. I delight in you. Because he knew he was loved. He could remain committed to love even in the face of opposition. God wants from us what God wants for us. We love because we know we are loved. The old man was dressed. In once elegant, but now slightly shabby clothes. He sat in a wheelchair. It was difficult for him to hold his head up straight. A meeting of some kind was breaking up. One of the countless meetings he'd been in across more than five decades of work. I knew him pretty well, and he he once admitted to me that he couldn't believe how much of his life had been taken up in meetings. Instead of laughing and crying with friends or walking hand in hand with his beloved beside a mountain stream or sitting quietly by a fire listening to Miles Davis, he couldn't believe it. But there he was at one more meeting. And he was trying to roll his chair, roll himself out of the room. But before he could get through the door, he was ambushed by hot tears which streamed suddenly and uncontrollably down his cheeks. He tried to wipe them away before anyone saw, but they saw. And asked, Are you all right? Are you in pain? When he told me this story, he said, For a moment I couldn't answer, and then when I did, I could not believe what I said. It was the truth, but I couldn't believe I admitted it. All I ever wanted, he said softly, was to be loved. He was a kind and good man. But it was hard for him. Maybe it's hard for you. It was hard for him to open his heart to love. It was the one thing he craved more than anything else. But it was difficult for him to open himself to it. We all long for it. A young child reaching up to his grandfather A teenage girl hoping that boy in her fourth period class is going to speak to her. A young adult desperate not to eat dinner alone. A middle-aged man out on the road struggling with loneliness. A grieving spouse who buried her partner not long ago and returns night after night to a house chilled by absence. What these people want, what we all want, is love. Simply love. To be loved and to love. We want friends who will let us into their circle, join us in our dreams, see us through our struggles, and dance with us when we're on the other side. We want a church where we don't have to pretend to be perfect or wear masks to hide our fears or feel pressured to affirm more than we know. We want to be loved because we need to be loved. And we also want to be loved because we also long to love others too. In his last book of poems, written just as the cancer with which he'd struggled for a decade was taking his life, his last book of poems called A New Path to the Waterfall. Raymond Carver wrote these his last words, titled simply, Late Fragment. And did you get what you wanted from this life after all? I did. And what did you want? To call myself beloved. To feel myself beloved on the earth. And it's my privilege, it's my joy, simply to remind you what you already know. Because of Jesus, in Jesus with Jesus, through Jesus. You are. Everyone is God's beloved child. In fact, I think Paul's hymn to love is Jesus' love song to you. So never forget that Jesus loves you with unconditional love strong and tender love. He doesn't love you for what you can do for Him or give Him. He loves you because He loves you. Jesus rejoices with you when things go well. His heart is broken along with yours when you are in pain. He helps you carry your burdens. Jesus believes in you. Has great hopes and dreams for you. Jesus has always loved you. He loves you now. His love will never end. Amen.